The Hamlet Podcast, episode 48. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Macbeth with me, your host, Conor Hanrity. We now move to a new location entirely, the castle of Macduff. As we've heard throughout the play, he is the Thane of Fife, and so that is the location of his castle. Rather grimly, Macbeth already told us that he's going to attack the place. Worse yet, we also know that Macduff has left for England. In the current climate of fear in Scotland, remember, people are already calling Macbeth a tyrant. Surely it is madness for Macduff to have gone so far away. This is precisely what is on his wife's mind as she now enters, accompanied by her young son, in furious mid-conversation with Ross. She asks, What had he done to make him fly the land? We get the sense that Ross has brought news to her that Macduff hasn't just left home, but that he's left Scotland. Perhaps he didn't tell his wife because she might have stopped him. We never quite get to know their dynamic, since we'll never see them on stage together. What is important is her frustration at Macduff's having gone to England, and her worry that he has done something that has made him have to fly the land. Ross has no answer for her. All he says is, You must have patience, madam. This is the Shakespearean equivalent of telling someone who's upset to calm down. Nobody wants to hear it. At the mention of patience, Lady Macduff replies that he had none. His flight was madness. When our actions do not, our fears do make us traitors. Macduff didn't have the patience to stay at home and be smart about things. She finds his flight to England impulsive, and she worries, not unreasonably, that his departure will make him look guilty of something. As she puts it, our fears can make us look like traitors, even when our actions do not. The fears that she imagines prompted Macduff to leave will make him look guilty of treason. She perhaps does not know who Macduff is meeting in England, and how important his journey really is. Her concern is much more domestic than political. Ross attempts to console her, telling her that you know not whether it was his wisdom or his fear. Maybe it was fear that prompted him to go, but perhaps there's wisdom to it. Maybe there's a good reason for it, a solid plan. Wisdom, indeed. Lady Macduff is unconvinced. She cries, Wisdom? To leave his wife? To leave his babes, his mansion and his titles in a place from whence himself does fly? He loves us not. He wants the natural touch. For the poor wren, the most diminutive of birds, will fight, her young ones in the nest, against the owl. All is the fear and nothing is the love. As little is the wisdom where the flight so runs against all reason. Lady Macduff is very good at these immediate answers. She goes point for point with Ross, and here contradicts the idea that it could at all be wise for Macduff to have left. He has left his wife, his children, his castle, and his good name and position as Thane of Fife in danger. He's left all these behind, here, in this perilous position, from which he alone has been able to run away. 
she is emotional here, saying that he doesn't love her or the children, and that he lacks the natural touch. Since, in nature, it would never happen that a mother and her children would be left so exposed. She opines that even the little wren, the smallest of birds, will stay in the nest and protect her chicks against a marauding owl. Again, we have the owl as this malevolent bird. In the ornithology of Shakespeare, it is noted that the wren is not actually the smallest or most diminutive of birds, and worse, that wrens do not behave thus when under attack. But in Elizabethan popular culture, it was the wren that was known as the smallest of birds, and that's why Shakespeare uses it here. The image of a tiny threatened bird defending itself against an oncoming portentous predator like an owl is not subtle here, nor should it be. Lady Macduff proclaims that there's no love in Macduff's departure, only fear. All is the fear and nothing is the love. And there's no wisdom either when his leaving them is so totally counterintuitive and unnatural. As little is the wisdom where the flight so runs against all reason. Now Ross attempts to console her at greater length. My dearest cuz, I pray you, school yourself. But for your husband, he is noble, wise, judicious, and best knows the fits of the season. I dare not speak much further. But cruel are the times when we are traitors and do not know ourselves, when we hold rumour from what we fear, yet know not what we fear, but float upon a wild and violent sea each way and move. I take my leave of you. Shall not be long, but I'll be here again. Things at the worst will cease, or else climb upward to what they were before. My pretty cousin, blessing upon you. So Ross attempts to placate Lady Macduff, beseeching her to school or control herself. He insists that her husband is noble, wise, judicious, all very rational qualities, and that he best knows the fits of the season. Macduff is no fool, in other words, and he knows what's going on. And, by extension, wouldn't be gone to England without a very good reason. Ross seems on the brink of telling her more, but stops himself, saying, I dare not speak much further. Another clue that suggests Lady Macduff really doesn't know what Macduff is planning. Ross sidesteps this with more commentary, lamenting how cruel the times are when we are traitors and do not know ourselves. Even this phrase seems equivocal. It could mean that the times are so cruel that one could commit treachery or treason without knowing it, or that, amid it all, we don't even know ourselves. Ross gets to his main point now, miserably acknowledging that in this cruel time, fear is everywhere. Everyone is afraid in general, without quite knowing of what they are afraid. It's a major condition of tyranny, this. We hold rumour from what we fear, yet know not what we fear but float upon a wild and violent sea each way and move. The image of stormy seas is a good one, a very precarious and unsettling situation. Now Ross makes to leave, but promises that he will be back soon to check in on the family. 
I take my leave of you. Shall not be long, but I'll be here again. He attempts a note of encouragement, saying that the worst of things will come to an end, or climb at least back up to how they were before. Seems like rather cold comfort, but that's the best he can offer before calling down a blessing on Macduff Jr. He calls Lady Macduff cuz, and the little boy pretty cousin, but apparently it's a term of endearment rather than a family relation. To me, it might make more sense of his visit if he were Lady Macduff's cousin, but then, if he was a blood relation, wouldn't he stay with her in this hour of need? Ours isn't really to question this small detail. Ross has been the messenger throughout the play, and perhaps he's busy with fresh assignments and can't stay any longer. It's sweet that he acknowledges the Macduff's son, who is young enough still to be referred to as pretty. Lady Macduff is rueful, as she says, fathered he is, and yet he's fatherless. Obviously the boy was fathered by Macduff, but is now fatherless in his father's absence. As well as the immediate concern she's expressing, her child lacks a father to defend him in case of attack. There's also a deft piece of dramatic irony here. We'll learn later in the play that Macduff himself was mothered, but also motherless. Ross is overcome and is reduced to tears. He says, I am so much a fool. Should I stay longer, it would be my disgrace and your discomfort. I take my leave at once. Shakespeare often equates crying with foolishness. Ross certainly has no business crying here, but whatever is moving him to tears makes him feel really like he should go, otherwise he will be disgraced by this unmanly foolishness, and Lady Macduff made uncomfortable. Again, this is an indication that they are cordial rather than family, since he'd presumably feel less sheepish about crying in front of an actual cousin or blood relative. Given what's going to come next, of course, it could be shame that is making Ross cry. If he knows what is going to happen, and he's leaving to get out of the way, this is pretty deplorable. More likely, he's just been here to help set the scene and give Lady Macduff someone to speak with. And as the play's messenger, perhaps he's been here telling her just that her husband has indeed gone to England. According to Hollinshed's chronicles, Ross was actually put to death by the historical Macbeth for sedition. As we shall see in the coming scenes and the remaining acts of the play, Shakespeare's Ross will also have a shift in loyalties. For now, he exits the scene, leaving Lady Macduff and her son entirely alone. You can probably guess what's coming, but I'm afraid Shakespeare strings it out a bit, and I must, by extension, do the same. We will save Lady Macduff's scene with her pretty young son for the next episode. I have to let you know that my interest in Shakespeare, and particularly this play, is entirely because of my mother, whose birthday is today. She was an English teacher, and I assume a very good one, although I was never in her class. Certainly, without her, there would have been no Hamlet podcast at all. Sadly, she left us long before podcasts were even a thing, but I hope you'll spare a thought for her today. It's a happy accident that our coverage of this momentous scene, which starts with the only example of motherhood and passionate family care in this dark, cruel play, should begin on her birthday. So please have a slice of cake or raise a glass to her today. 
and I'll speak to you next time.